scripture reading this morning will be from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Again, that will be Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. We hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We hope today is an encouragement to all of us to think about the importance of mission work. What a beautiful concept to take the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection to a world around us so that they can learn of Jesus and be saved and become a part of His people. And as we think of Mission Emphasis Day, there are about five things that we strive to accomplish. And one is that we want to inform all of our members, hey, this, this is the work that you are a part of. When you give, this is the work that's supported. When we go on mission trips and people know that we're part of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ, this is the, the places that we go, whether it's through uh, communication and oversight or if it's literally some of us showing up in person. Hope you'll take the time to pass through the foyer and notice the displays, some beautiful displays that will introduce you to the places and some of the missionaries. And also, hopefully through this, you can be introduced to some of the liaisons of this congregation that could better answer a lot of questions for you. Also, if you're sitting on the end of a pew, if you will, take the bookmarks there on the end, pass them down and each person receive a bookmark. And then if you will, replace them back to the edges for next service. But as you do that, you'll notice on the bookmark, the back of the bookmark has our list of missionaries by name and the location in which they serve. Also on the bottom right-hand corner of that bookmark, you see four mission trips that we as a congregation will go on together. You'll also notice that one of those mission trips actually leaves out this coming Saturday. Now, that one is too late for you to jump in unless you've already made your plans. But the rest of them, we'd like for you to consider being a part of those mission works. We have about 10 to 15% of our congregation that goes on a mission trip every year. And so maybe you're thinking, I've never done that before. And, and you have questions. There are a lot of people around you that can tell you about that. We'd love for you to be a part of spreading the gospel in that way. But also what we need is we need people that are senders. We need people that get involved and, and help support those that are striving to go. And so there's a place for everybody to serve in the Lord's kingdom as a church that, that seeks to be a, a going, but as well as a sending church. Also what we want to do is we want to encourage our missionaries year around, but especially we think that Missions Emphasis Day is a wonderful day and, and way to spark that encouragement. And so what we will do is we will ask every Bible class to prepare a care package that will be sent to each of the missionaries that are on the back of that bookmark. Now, 
We have three bags here that three classes have already prepared. And the reason those classes got a head start was because they're sending to the six missionaries and their families uh, in Latin America. And so this bag holds two families worth of encouragement. And behind me are two other bags uh, that each of them hold two bags of, of just care package type encouragement also. Now we understand that some of you other classes, which by the way, next Sunday, uh, your, your class coordinators will talk to you about your class and which missionary you're going to support. And you know, many of those packages will have to be mailed and we understand those care packages will probably be much smaller than these care packages, but it's still the idea of be praying for them, write them notes, send them some kind of care package to let them know that there are Christians right here in Mount Juliet that love them and want them to continue spreading the gospel around the world. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that we can do. I don't know what's the most important part of Mission and Emphasis Day and it's probably not even worth it to try to debate it. But I would guess that if God were going to speak right now and say, let me tell you a real important thing that you guys do at Mount Juliet on Missions Emphasis Day, I would say it's probably encourage the missionaries. And so I want to, I want to encourage you to, to be prayerful and involved in whatever way that you can encourage them. You also notice on the bookmarks are several ways of contact. Several of our missionaries speak English. It would be great to send them a quick email to let them know simply that you love them and that you're praying for them. Also on this day, we want to plant seeds. There may be men and women sitting in this audience that you've been thinking about, I want to do more. I want to quit the job I have now and I want to move and I want to move to a place in the States where the church is not very strong. And, and I want to help the church grow in those areas. Listen, we would love to be a church that encourages you to do that. We want to plant seeds. Maybe your job will transfer you to a place where the church is not strong. We want to encourage you when you leave here, the, the Mount Juliet congregation, that you leave prepared and ready to share the gospel wherever you are. Some of our kids will leave and go to state schools where the, 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 the Christian light is not shining very bright. And instead of our kids just barely surviving, our expectation is that our kids would be a light converting their friends to Jesus Christ. There may be those that want to become full-time missionaries and go to a foreign field. And there may be young people that are right now thinking, maybe this is something I want to do. Listen, as a church family, I long to see the day that we regularly are praying for families and encouraging families that are going out to live in places where the church is not strong for no other reason than to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be awesome if every few weeks we were having a prayer for a family that was leaving and going and doing that. Let's plant seeds and let's let God uh, grow us into whatever he would have us to be. And then finally but not last, we want this day to be a day that sparks prayer. How awesome would it be that if every one of us before we we went to sleep tonight. We prayed for every one of these individuals by name. What if we, we said, I'm going to pick a missionary and all week long, I'm going to pray for that missionary and the next week I'll pray for the next one. Or maybe you want to pray for every missionary by name every day. But let's make sure that we use that bookmark as a wonderful tool to help us to know who to pray for. And so today should be a great day to bring emphasis to one of the greatest topics we could bring emphasis to, and that is telling others about Jesus Christ. Could it get any better than that? It's interesting when we look in the scriptures, we see, if you want to call it a formula, of how the gospel was always spread successfully. What we always see is that it requires a willing Christian, a willing Christian to go. 
But also, it's interesting to note that it also requires a sending congregation. I think sometimes we take that one for granted, or maybe, maybe we just don't even appreciate it as much as we should, or don't even think about it at all. But as we study through the book of Acts, I want you to notice that, that there needs to be a sending congregation. And then how wonderful it is when we find a receptive people. And that's the formula that we see. For example, think with me for just a moment as we back up and we think, how's the New Testament begin? It begins with telling us the gospel story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tells us about life, uh, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. But then we go to the book of Acts. What's the book of Acts about? The book of Acts is about the beginning of the Lord's church. First part is about Jesus. The very next book is about Jesus' people, the church. And that what we see in the origin of the church is we see that the first part of the book follows primarily Peter. The last part of the book follows primarily Paul. And we know that there were thousands of other Christians. So please don't be misled in thinking, well, those were the ones that did all the work. As a matter of fact, Tim in our Bible class in just a few minutes is going to do a tremendous job sharing with us how so many of the other people worked in, in spreading the gospel that even though we don't know their names, we see the fruit of their labor. But now, as we think about this, I'd like for you to think with me for just a moment about also we see two locations spoken of often in the book of Acts. Especially in the first part of the book of Acts, we see an emphasis on Jerusalem. But then as we go deeper into the book of Acts, we see another church mentioned many times by name, and it's the church at Antioch. Now, when we think about these individuals... And then churches like the one in Jerusalem or we see the one in Antioch that were constantly sending. What a beautiful, beautiful example. 9-11, our world stopped. Most of us in this room that were alive then and that were uh, involved in day-to-day -day life at that time, old enough to remember, if you will, we just stopped and watched in horror and disbelief. And when we saw the towers fall, and then later to hear that a plane, a commercial airline has been used as a missile into the Pentagon, and then, you know, there was that continual wondering, what, what's going to happen to that Flight 93? Well, you remember that they were also on Flight 93 on the phone talking with people on the ground about what was unfolding, and they were told and informed what was unfolding. And so there's a lot of, of interesting conversations that have been recorded on phone calls that, that's able to piece all of this story together. And what we understand was they began to communicate among themselves on that flight, and, and they made the decision that they knew that they were a target from some destination. And, and so because of that, they knew they were going to die. And so they decided to say, listen, we, we want to do something about this. And, and so they made a plan. And Tom Burnett, you remember the president quoted him, and he's best known for the quote, let's roll. But you know, it's right before he said let's roll that is the quote that inspires me the most. He was, he was talking about this plan, and finally he just said this, we're all going to die, but some of us are going to do something about it. I love that quote. Because that doesn't just describe the people on Flight 93. That describes everybody in this room. We are all going to die. And we look at a world around us. We are all going to die. But some of us are going to do something about it. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. How many people could I help 
stand prepared as a child of God, saved by Jesus on the day of judgment. I hope and pray that we as a church family could affect that number drastically. That there would be thousands upon tens of thousands upon hundreds of thousands that would stand before the Lord on the day of judgment and they would be referred to as children of God. That they would be told, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How could that happen? Listen, it won't happen unless there's willing servants and ascending church. And God will provide the recipients. Let's spend some time this morning thinking about Paul as a wonderful example. If you would, go to Acts, the ninth chapter. And, and uh, if you want to borrow a Bible out of the pew there, where we will begin will be about 973 or 974. But Paul's conversion is a powerful story. You remember that he was a persecutor of the church. And, and then out of the persecution of the church, he was traveling to Damascus to do more of that. And the bright light shone down in miraculous fashion. He had a talk with Jesus. Now, I want to remind you that before, if anyone claimed that Jesus was the Son of God, Paul honestly counted that as blasphemy. He did not believe Jesus was the Son of God. And so if someone would claim that, he would want to punish them for such blasphemous words. And so now he's on the road to Damascus and, and the Lord, in verse 4, you see, he falls to the ground. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And notice his reply is, who are you, Lord? And notice what Jesus' answer is. The Lord says, I am Jesus. Now, I assure you at that moment, if already we know Paul's attention was very focused because, you know, he's talking to this voice, this bright light shone upon. So I'm not saying he was apathetic at this moment. But can you imagine what it would have been at this moment when he says, Lord, who are you? My guess is he was not expecting Jesus to be the answer. Who, who are you? Jesus. Sinking heart. You got to be kidding me. I've been this wrong. I mean, you couldn't be more wrong about a more important topic. You mean to tell me you really are Jesus, the Lord. And I've been out persecuting people that believe that. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you find out I was wrong? Notice his response. You have to love the humility of Paul. Verse 6, he trembled. He was astonished. But this is what he said. Lord, what do you want me to do? What a beautiful statement. And so the Lord told him, arise and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. Brethren, that's willingness. Okay, I've never believed it before in my life, but you know what? Now I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is really the Lord. And so I will immediately confess that you are Lord. And then immediately, what will he do? Humble. Available. Here I am. You tell me what you want me to do. And he says, there's still more you need to do. I want you to go to Damascus and I want to send somebody and he's going to tell you what you need to do. Have you noticed sometime that what we like to do is we like to make ourselves look like we're available, but we're not really 100% available? Do you? You ever been there? 
I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but if we make the point, we'll put an embarrassment out for the Lord, okay? Just, just, a, just a couple of weeks ago, Tracy said to me, she said, we were riding towards the house, she said, my feet are killing me. Well, you, you know what went through my mind. When we get home, you want me to rub your feet. But you know what I said? I said, I'm sorry. You know what I did when we got home? I didn't rub her feet. I never told her this either. You see what I'm saying? We have a way in life of looking like, here I am, I'll do anything you want, but the reality is we won't really say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How many of us today are willing to say that to God? Not, I'll do this for you, God, and I'll do this for you, God, and I'll do this. What about if we just open it up completely? Lord, what do you want me to do? Have you ever wondered how Paul ended up on all of these amazing journeys and touched thousands of lives? I want to tell you, if it wasn't for this kind of heart right here, it wouldn't have happened. A man that from the day he began to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, his response was always the same. Lord, what would you have me to do? And notice, he meant it. He went to Damascus just like the Lord told him in verse 18. Immediately, now Ananias is going to come to him in 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received from his side at once and he arose and was baptized. Now what this doesn't tell us is the details that Acts 22 and 16 does tell us. And what Acts 22 and 16 tells us is that when he was there waiting because the Lord told him to go and wait, when Ananias arrived, Ananias said, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. So we know that's what Ananias said. And now we we know the result. The result was he arose and he was baptized. In other words, here's a man that says, Lord, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. All right, go to Damascus and wait. It'll be told you. He goes to Damascus and wait. And then one comes and tells him and immediately he says, okay, what do we see here? He believes in the words of Jesus. It's not just that he believes in the Lord. He believes in the teachings of Jesus. When Ananias comes to him and says, this is what the way of Christianity teaches. You want to be saved, you need to arise and you need to be baptized so that your sins can be washed away because you can't be saved if you're still guilty of your sins. And the only way we can have, we cannot be guilty of our sins is for the Lord to forgive us of sins. And so then the question is, when does the Lord forgive sins? The Lord says he does it at the time we're immersed into water. That's what he says over and over. So what did Saul do? Saul did what the Lord told him to do. Now he arose from there and he immediately became a part of God's people, the church. And he loved the people that belonged to Jesus. Skip down, if you will, and let's read about when he came into Jerusalem. Look at verse 26. Saul had come to Jerusalem. Keep in mind, at this point, all they remember is that this was Saul that was the persecutor of Christians. And so notice, he tried to join the disciples, but when they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Now we can read on and we can see that Barnabas helps him there and works through that and he becomes a part of them. But notice his intention and notice his heart's desire. What's his desire? I'm coming into Jerusalem. What do you want, Paul? I just want to be in fellowship. I want to be linked, if you will, with the work of whom? The world? No. I want to be a part of Christ's people. 
I want to join myself to the church. And when he says join there, he's not talking about some kind of official vote where everybody vote and where they let me in. He's talking about sharing fellowship with. I want to share in the work with these people. I want to share in the life with these people. I want to share in the gospel with these people. I want to share in the suffering with these people. Let's think just what we've learned over the last few minutes. Paul was a willing servant because he was willing to believe in Jesus. He was willing to believe anything that Jesus taught. And he was willing to join himself with Jesus' people. From that, here's what I deduce. He loved the Lord. He loved the Lord's truth. And he loved the Lord's people. Listen, we as a congregation do not need to send anybody on a mission trip that's not that kind of servant. Don't say you want to go on a mission trip if you're not so certain if you love the church. You're not needed on that mission trip because you can't truly and genuinely love the Lord if you don't love the church. Don't go on a mission trip if you say, you know what, I think the Bible's a pretty good book and I think a lot of it is great suggestions to live by. No, it's an infallible book and it's complete truth and we need to be willing to lay down our life to share that truth with others because it's that powerful. It's alive and living and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so when, when we see this, who, who needs to be that willing servant? It needs to be someone who's willing to love the Lord, love the truth, and love His people. But now let's think about a church, a congregation, if you will, that heavily impacted Paul's life. Let's look at the church at Antioch. Go with me, if you will, over a few pages to the 11th chapter in Acts. Acts, the 11th chapter, we learn about this, this sending church of Antioch. Now, as we read about them, Acts, the 11th chapter, they're a young church. In other words, the church down in Jerusalem starts to hear word that there are a lot of people that are being converted to Christianity north of them. And so they decide, well, listen, if, if there are a lot of people becoming Christians, maybe we ought to send one of our preachers that's really rooted and grounded in the knowledge of the way of Christianity. Let's send them north and let's let him help them in their growth. And so it's no surprise. Remember Barnabas, his name is Son of Encouragement. It's what his name meant, his nickname, if you will. It, it, it's no surprise that they turn to Barnabas. He's an ideal candidate. Hey, you go up to Antioch. They are really hungry to learn about Jesus up there. You help them out. And so he goes there. And, and notice in 24 that reference, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And great many people were added to the Lord. Talking about there in Antioch. But then notice what he does as he's working as a part of that Antioch congregation. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus to seek Paul. Now let's pause it for just a minute. Why would you do that? Well, you could probably use the additional help, no doubt. There would have been a lot to do. But why else would you do that? I can't help but believe, but another reason he would do that is he's looking over and he says, you know what? There's a guy that, that he's spiritually young, hasn't been a Christian that long, full of ability and enthusiasm. You know, I, I met a guy one time named Saul. He would be a great man to have here to help us. But you know what? We could help him. Let's send... Ascending church. Let's send and let's find him and let's bring him into the middle of this work. You know, as a congregation, we ought to always be looking for individuals that are wanting to grow in their opportunities to teach. Grow in their opportunities to go. We ought to, we ought to almost like have a, a natural radar 
that says, listen, if you're, if you're a part of this congregation and, and you want to grow in your abilities to, to one day serve as a missionary or to, to serve as a Bible class teacher or, or to preach, whatever it may be, you're in the right place. We want to find you. We want to help you grow. We want to help you develop, whether you're young or old. Now, did it work? Yes, they brought him in and look in 26. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And, and so it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and they taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So a lot of people were reached and they lived so much like Christ that others looked at them and they came up with a term that described their life looking like Christ. And they said, you know what? We call those people over there in Antioch, we call them Christians. Paul was the one, Barnabas was the one working with them whenever that term was coined. Now, a famine came in and it heavily affected Judea. That's a pretty good distance from Antioch. But you know what these brethren did? Look in 29, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to what? Send. They're sending church. They determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent, they sent that collection to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. How much did each one give? Equally? Not an equal amount, but they gave an equal sacrifice. Each one gave according to their ability. And then when they had that collection, what did they do? They sent it. I hope that we're always a church that has our eyes lifted higher than just our local work. Listen, we make a horrible mistake whenever the only thing we ever see is the local work when there's souls all around the world and there's a kingdom that should be spread around the world. That's the Great Commission. And so we need to constantly be looking and saying, how can we help others no matter where they are on or around the globe? Now, as we look at this, we also see that not only they sent money, but they sent some of their very best. Look at the 13th chapter. In Acts, the 13th chapter, we see that... that we're talking about the church at Antioch again. And look at verse two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, what'd they do? They sent them away. If you had, I'm sorry you don't, uh, but if you had a preacher as talented as Saul or Barnabas, how keen would you be about, oh, that's a great idea. We got a great preacher, two great preachers, Saul and Barnabas. I got a great idea. The Holy Spirit wants to send them. Let's get all fired up about sending our great preachers away. Why do churches not get fired up about things like that? Because we look local and we have no greater vision than local. What happens when we lift our eyes and we say, you know what? There's, there's a lot of places around the world that we need to be sending people. The Holy Spirit came to them and said, I want you to send these two men. Instead of complaining and, and bickering or disobeying, they begin to fast, they begin to pray, and they begin to send. But not only did they send in that sense, but we also see that when they sent them, 
They could only send them with one thing, and that was the truth. Look at Acts, the 15th chapter. You remember they'd gone on the missionary journeys, and what they oftentimes reached out to were Gentiles. And so when the Jews in the Jerusalem area were hearing reports about how they were bringing Gentiles to the Lord, and I know to our culture today, we may think, well, that, that's really strange, and we don't have time to develop all the reasons why it would not have been strange to them. But let's just let it suffice by saying the Jews had this... this um, they had this uh, tender place in their heart. They had this conviction, perhaps even, that, hey, we know that now we're Christians and we're, we're no longer under Judaism, but we still like circumcision a lot because it was a mark of identity of our people. And so I tell you what we're going to do. If you want to become a Christian, we will welcome Jews into Christianity as long as you hear and believe and repent and confess and are circumcised. We will baptize you into Christ if you're willing to do those things. Well, it was a great tradition that they had under the old covenant. It was one ordained by God. Is there any problem? Just, let's just, what, what, what's the beef? What's the problem? Let's just go ahead. It's a part of their culture. Let's just go ahead and add it. Brethren, there's a problem. Anytime we think it's fine to just go ahead and add something to truth because it's no longer truth once we start adding to it or once we start taking away from it. I'd like for you to read with me the 15th chapter in verse 1 and 2. Certain men came down from Judea and they taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, brethren, that's strong words that are not true. Hey, now let me tell you something. We'd love for you Gentiles to, to be saved. We really would. We, we love you and we want you to be saved. But now, I know, I know, maybe you've heard Paul, maybe you've heard Barnabas, maybe you've heard some of those others that are trying to reach the Gentiles. They've left out something very important. They say you can be saved without circumcision. Let me tell you something. You can't be saved without circumcision. This isn't light. This isn't... 21st century, you know what most religious people say today? Think about what would most people in America say today? Most people would say, well, hey, if that's good for you and that's the way you want it, that's fine. You guys go ahead and practice it that way. And I tell you what, we're, we're Paul and we're Barnabas and we just see it a different way and we're just going to practice it our way. Listen, it doesn't matter what you believe and it doesn't matter what I believe. It's not going to change truth one iota. The only thing that matters is what God has said and that is truth. They didn't say, now let's get together and let's discuss what powerful argument can you put together for circumcision? What powerful argument can we put for the fact that it's not needed? You know what they did? They got together and they discussed God's will. They discussed truth. But I want you to see how they got together to discuss it. Look at verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, in other words, you start messing with truth, it's not a small thing. It's a big thing to start changing the word of God. And so it was no small dissension and dispute with them. They determined, the they there is the church at Antioch and all those that are concerned here. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem. Now it's really south, but it's up in elevation. Up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So what they do? So being what? Sent on their way by the church. Listen, Antioch is the type of church that I hope that, that we always are. A church that's sending to find somebody like Paul, say, let's bring them in and let's help them grow. A church that says, I hear that there's a need a long way from here. Let's collect some money and let's send it to them. 
A church that says, we want to take and we want to grow the very best we have so we can send them. And a church that says, we're not going to have anything to do with anything except sending the truth. You want to change it? We will not be at peace. There's something a lot more important than peace and unity. And it's truth. We can either go for the spirit of unity or the unity of the spirit. And right now, what is prevalent in America today is just, let's have a spirit of unity. Listen, all God requires of us and expects and demands of us is that we have unity of the spirit. What has the Holy Spirit inspired, given us in truth, that we follow it? And let's make sure that we are a people that are unified on truth, the love of God that has given us truth, and then let's make sure when we send, that is the only thing that we are sending. When we think about the opportunities that God gives us as His people, they absolutely are amazing. So as we close this lesson, I just want to ask you this. Are you a willing servant? Do you love God, the truth, and His church with all of your heart? But now let's think about ourselves collectively. Are we a sending church? Let's please never, never be so short-sighted that we think that this is the totality of the church and our work. The totality of the kingdom is to reach the world. I think about the great words of Jesus. Lift up your eyes. Look into the fields, for they are white into harvest. This morning, how could we help you Let's start with the individual. If we could help you take steps closer to God, we want to encourage you. And we don't make any apology. We're very thankful to be able to say the only thing we're going to encourage you to do is love the Lord and live His truth. But now let's think about us as a collective group. Are we sending? We're about to sing a song of encouragement. And if as an individual you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, we'd love to help you with that. Maybe you've already done that and you've begun that journey with the Lord and maybe you've lost your way and you want to repent and you want to come back and pray forgiveness. We'd love to pray with you and for you. I hope today is a good day for us as a church family. I hope it helps us all focus on really what is so important. If we can help you in any way,